0: The almost total collapse over the past 70 years of the rural population of the Northern Great Plains makes it difficult to imagine that the teens and early 20s saw the last great homesteading boom with land free for the taking and thousands and thousands of families moving out west putting up a little house and scraping by trying to eke out a living. Although some of the old houses are still inhabitable, the only thing that's left for the most part are weathered boards and old foundations sticking up in the sagebrush, bunch of grass growing around them, scattered here and there across the prairie. It's a world of the past, living on only in the dreams and memories of their old timers. One day while I was patching up one of the walls in one of those own homesteads that I happened to be living in, I made an interesting find. See, the walls had been lined with old newspapers in order to keep the wind from blowing through the cracks. And right there in the wall was the front page of an L.A. newspaper from about 90 years ago. Right there, right in the middle of the front page of an L.A. paper from 90 years ago, was this big front page article, including an interview with the L.A. County Sheriff about a serious social problem. What was the serious social problem that warranted this front page article and an interview from the LA County Sheriff? The Sheriff had received reports of completely unacceptable and immoral behavior and he wanted to know, all the citizens to know, exactly, he wanted to tell the citizens exactly what should be done about it. So what was the problem? The sheriff was angry about something he called goo-goo eyes. Goo-goo eyes. Now what's that supposed to mean? Well, as a sheriff, and as a man, he was completely ticked off. that In his county, some woman could be walking around, innocently minding her own business, and yet she might encounter some creep that had the unmitigated gall to make eyes at her. Now keep in mind we're talking about L.A. as in Los Angeles. The sheriff of L.A. County is blazing mad because he's heard that there were men in his county who weren't looking at women with the respect due to them as women. He was mad because these men were making eyes at women. This is in L.A. Talk about a world of the past that lives on only in the dreams and memories of the old-timers. But it gets better. Right there in the article, he gave instructions on what was to be done. And his instructions were repeated in large type on the front page of the paper. The L.A. County Sheriff said if a man saw some lowlife that was giving googly eyes to a woman, he should go out to that lowlife googly eye and, I quote, give him a good kick in the seat of the pants. Close quote. I love men like that. Just think about it, we're talking about a county sheriff of LA County. He also pointed out that any man that was that much of a low life was a no good coward. You can't help loving a man like that. We used to have leaders with some testosterone. But maybe that's only something of the past. Living on in the dreams and memories. Of the old timers. It's clear the sheriff saw the obligations that we have to our neighbor. It's clear he saw the proper relationship and role of the sexes. It's clear that even if he wasn't a Catholic, he saw the order that God had established in nature. And because of that, he saw his sworn duty as an officer of the law to promote law and order order. He saw his duty as a chief law officer of that county to promote the proper order, to protect the weak and defenseless. And he also saw the duty that falls on each real man to protect and promote that same order established by God in nature, to keep order so that women of his county would be able to walk around safely and securely without fear of predatory low lives. Wouldn't our mothers and wives and sisters and daughters be a lot safer walking around in a county with men like that? Just picture what a man like that would do to some low life that actually had the nerve to lay his dirty hands on a woman. Women folks would be safe. See, when everything's properly ordered, it isn't only the rich or the strong or the powerful that are safe. When everything's properly ordered, the poor and the weak and the defenseless are also safe. Women folks are safe. That's how it's supposed to be. And most of us, at least past the middle 40s, can remember a time, a world like that. But now, for the most part, that's the only world of the past, living on in our dreams and memories. Can anyone here seriously imagine the L.A. County Sheriff giving a press conference today in May 2004 and announcing he's angry about something like this, that something needs to be done and suggesting that people go out and give these guys a good boot? Fat chance. It's almost impossible to imagine any current national leader who's in a position of power seriously suggesting anything that even remotely resembles this. No. Our society doesn't protect the poor, it doesn't protect the weak, or the defenseless. The presence of Planned Parenthood is a powerful testimony to that. We're approaching total insanity. We barely have law, and we certainly don't have much in the line of order. In fact, law and order in our society, or the church at large, is fast becoming a thing of the past something living on in the dreams and memories of old-timers. But that's what we're here to do right now. What we do here in Mass is we hold back the damage. We reorder the chaos. And how do we do that? By offering an ordered and pleasing worship to God the Father. And by doing that, we then obtain the grace to order our own thoughts our words and our deeds in a manner that's pleasing to the Father and we also obtain the grace to order our families and this particular community in a manner that's pleasing to God. You don't need me to tell you one of the most disordered aspects of our society are all the matters wrapped up with the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. We've been going through preparatory to talking about the Sixth Commandment. The last time we talked about this topic we looked at modesty. And we saw that modesty is a virtue that gives a man the ability to govern and dominate his passions, especially his desires for pleasure. It's a moral virtue that guards purity by giving a man the power to practice due measure in his actions and his dress. And then we took a quick look at modesty in dress, which principally concerns the ladies. Today we'll take a quick look at modesty of the eyes which principally concerns the men. This is not a question of a double standard. Because the sexes are different, they tend to labor under different difficulties. Men typically have more difficulty with purity itself and with modesty of the eyes and touch, so that's where they must be more careful. For example, viewing pornography is by and large a male problem. Women must give more attention to the whole field of modesty and be more considerate, of the weakness of others. As we've seen, immodest dress is by and large a female problem. The differences between the sexes come out about even when we're speaking in terms of sin. It's the same old story. One sex is typically guilty of offering a forbidden fruit, and another sex is typically guilty for taking it. The bottom line is that Christ calls all Catholic men and all Catholic women to have a sense of responsibility for one another and to show that by their practices of the virtues of purity and modesty. This Christian respect and compassion for the weakness of the other sex translated into the ladies protecting the men by their modest dress and deportment and the men protecting the ladies by modest behavior and by thrashing anyone that gets out of hand. We have obligations to our neighbors. So let's talk about the obligations a man has with respect to his eyes. Quick review. Thanks to original sin, our passions and our emotions are rebellion against right reason. That's the condition we call concupiscence, which inclines us strongly towards pleasurable goods, so it inclines us strongly towards sin. And so, because of concupiscence, immodest glances naturally tend to stir up lust or to present a very real danger of lust being stirred up. Immodest glances tend either to stir up lust or to be a near occasion of stirring it up. And of course, once lust is stirred up, there's a huge danger of consenting to it. As St. Alphonsus says, the devil first tempts us to look, then to desire, and afterwards to consent. Can we commit mortal sins with our eyes? Yes, indeed, we certainly can. The eyes are the windows of the soul, and what we look at can hurt us. When we see dangerous sights that might tempt us, we have an obligation to look away. King David didn't, and he fell. And he's anointed prophet of God. How can we tell how serious a sin these types of looks might be? Let's take the case of a glance which stirs up lust or is a near occasion of stirring it up, okay? So we're talking about something that either stirs it up or it's a near occasion. In other words, we're talking about serious matter. Obviously, if you're married, this doesn't apply to spouses. All right. Now, if there was no intention of this glance, say it was accidental, and no consent to the pleasure stirred up, there's no sin. So no intention and no consent (laughs) Means no sin. No intention, no consent, no sin. If there was no intention and faint consent before the man realizes what's going on and rejects it, that's what the moralists call semi deliberate consent. So some faint consent, there's a venial sin. So no intention, faint consent, venial sin. All right? If there was no intention but full consent, he goes, all right, you know, check that out. Something like that, mortal sin. Okay? If there's a direct intention, I am going to look at this bad book, I'm going to watch this bad movie, that's a mortal sin. So no intention, no consent, no sin, no intention, some consent, venial sin, no intention, full consent, mortal sin, direct intention, mortal sin. That's the morality of these kind of looks. You can see... By the off switch is important on a television. Okay, so how do we prevent committing mortal sins with our eyes? Get rid of your TV. No, there's four things to keep in mind. First off, we've got to pray. God will give us the grace to resist temptation if, and only if, we say our prayers. Say those three Hail Marys every morning for holiness and purity during the day, and every night for holiness and purity at night. This practice works miracles. Everyone here should be saying the three Hail Marys in the morning and at night for holiness and purity. If someone is still struggling with controlling his eyes and his thoughts, he can up the Andy by kneeling on his fingers. Take your hands like that, put them on the floor, kneel on your fingers while you say the Hail Marys. It'll hurt. It won't cripple you. It'll hurt. That's the point. You're asking the Blessed Virgin to take you more seriously because maybe you need to up the Andy. It'll hurt. Okay. We need to say our rosary every day. The Blessed Mother wasn't bored in heaven and wondering what they were doing down in Portugal when she came down to Fatima and reminded us that we needed to say the rosary every day. She's the best mother. She's perfect. She knows what we need. She came down to tell us, say your rosary every day. If we don't listen to her, there's only us to blame. She came down and told us, did the biggest miracle in the world since the resurrection. And what's the message? Say your rosary. Okay, overall then, we also have to have a serious sacramental life, and most especially regular confession. If a person is struggling with these kind of things, the Church teaches it is a moral miracle to overcome these kind of problems without confession. A moral miracle, what does that mean? A physical miracle is like raising somebody from the dead. Moral miracles are above that. In other words, a person would have an easier time raising somebody from the dead than conquering a serious problem of this type without confession. So regular confession is essential. It's essential, okay? At least every two weeks, if not, more frequently. If that doesn't do it, you keep up in the ante. Okay, so first point, three Hail Marys, Rosary, Confession. Second point. We have to mortify our eyes so we have the virtue to look away when we see something dangerous. We can mortify our eyes every day by not looking at something we like to look at. And that gives us a habit so that we can look away from things that we better not look at. For example, we can do things like delaying reading a newspaper article for a while, or opening a letter that we love for an hour or two, or turning off the TV. So second, mortify our eyes daily. Third, to notice something dangerous is not sinful. To notice it is not sinful, but to purposefully look, to continue to look, look away and then look back after looking away, now that's sinful. If a man gazes with immodest intent, whether or not the person whom he's looking at is immodestly dressed, then he's guilty, okay? If he's purposefully engaging those immodest looks, because that's the direct intent we talked about, Whether or not the person he's looking at is immodestly dressed has no bearing on a situation. He's guilty. Has no bearing. In Job 31.1, we see that St. Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not so much as think on a virgin. Why? Because he knew if he controlled his eyes and didn't look at her, then he wouldn't think about her. As St. Gregory the Great says, it's not lawful to behold what it's not lawful to desire. St. Francis de Sales says, that which is not seen is not desired. The inspired word of God in Ecclesiasticus 9 says, gaze not upon another's beauty, for many have perished by the beauty of a woman, and hereby lust is enkindled as a fire. For many, by admiring the beauty of another man's wife, have become reprobate. That's the Holy Ghost's word on it. St. Augustine says that even if our eyes should happen to fall upon something indecent, we should take care not to fix them there. As St. Alphonsus points out, a deliberate, fixed, immodest look may be the infernal spark that will cause the damnation of that soul. So the third point is we must look away when we notice something dangerous. Unfortunately, the danger level is going up, so we have to keep this principle in mind. Fourth, what should a guy do right when he finds himself tempted to take an immodest glance, or to look back, or to stare? So there he is in that situation. We already know this, who's gone through it, but it bears repeating. He should start by calling on the precious blood. Now what does that mean? It means he needs to say a little prayer doesn't have to be out loud it can be under his breath or even just mentally but he should say a little prayer along these lines precious blood wash over me and protect me from the wickedness and snares of the devil if you can't remember that remember precious blood wash over and protect me we're calling on our lord's precious blood to protect us from the devil why this prayer because if the devil is producing imaginative images it will drive it away Remember that demons can tempt us by introducing images into our imaginations or getting us agitated to some degree, but calling on the precious blood will stop these type of temptations. Even if a man is not in a state of grace, this will work, because our Lord shed his precious blood for sinners, didn't he? So precious blood wash over me and protect me from the wickedness and snares of the devil. That's first. Precious blood, wash over me and protect me from the wickedness and snares of the devil. Next the guy prays, Jesus, Mary Joseph, Saint Maria Goretti, Guardian Angel, help me. Jesus, Mary Joseph, Saint Maria Goretti, Guardian Angel, help me. Jesus, Mary Joseph, Saint Maria Goretti, Guardian Angel, help me. What's he doing? He's calling in the heavy artillery from heaven. Okay? As soon as he's calling the precious blood, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Saint Maria Coretti, Guardian Angel, help me. That's the level of grace. He said his prayers. Now he's got heaven involved, now he has to do his part. That means that he has to shift that image that he's got in his imagination. Whatever it is that he's wanting to look at, obviously he knows it's there, he wouldn't be tempted to look. Okay? The example I always suggest is canoeing. Doesn't have to be canoeing, but it needs to substitute this temptation in his imagination with something that's enjoyable. Very easy to picture and has absolutely nothing to do with his temptation. Why imagine something enjoyable? Because right now the man's appetites are being drawn. They're being drawn towards something pleasurable. It's very desirable. It's something he wants to look at. But it's sinful. So, since his passions are already moving towards something pleasurable, rather than trying to fight that, what he does is derail them by thinking about something else pleasurable so the passions just keep moving, but you've derailed them and moved them towards something that isn't sinful. It's pleasurable. It's a legal pleasure. Okay? So, quick review. He's being tempted right then to make an immodest glance. As soon as he realizes, it, he prays, Precious blood, wash our me protect me. Why? To get the devil out of the picture. Then he prays, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, St. Marie Goretti, guardian angel, help me. Why? To get heaven into the picture. Then what does he do? He shifts imagination, his imagination from this temptation that he wants to look at, something that's very enjoyable and easy to picture, something to do with Montana, obviously. Now remember, as long as we're fighting, we're not sinning. As long as we're fighting, we're not sinning. When you're tempted, precious blood wash over me. Jesus, Mary Joseph, St. Mary Goretti, guardian angel, help me. Then think about canoeing or something else fun and pleasant and moral. Okay? Say those three Hail Marys every morning and every night. Say your rosary every day. Go to confession regularly. Mortify your eyes. Look away from dangerous sights. When you're tempted, say, precious blood, wash over me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, St. Maria, Grady, guardian angel, help me. Then think about canoeing or something else, fun, pleasant, and moral. And then, irregardless of how immodest our society may become, we'll be able to keep the command of St. Peter found in today's epistle. Beloved, I exhort you, as strangers... And pilgrims to abstain from carnal desires which war against the soul. And indeed we are strangers and pilgrims passing through here on our way to heaven. So if we do these things as our souls become more and more ordered and more and more obedient to the law of God, troubles with immodest looks and impure thoughts will themselves become things of the past, only faint, and distant memories, the life of a man on the road to heaven.